Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick Kadoon. I'm the pastor of community here at Airdrie Alliance. It's so good to be with you today. If you are new with us, if you're joining us for the first time, checking this place out, looking for a church home, we want to say to you, welcome here, welcome home. We trust that this is a place where you can anchor into and just uh, do it, do it. Jo- join us in what God is doing here in our church. So it's going to be good. All right, let's jump in. We are in the middle of our series called Summer in the Psalms. We're looking at the Psalms. And while so far over the past few weeks, We've covered topics like rest and, and renewal and building and strengthening our, our personal relationship with God through these words of the Psalms. Uh, today, we're going to be touching on a subject that, quite frankly, I think some of us would rather choose to avoid. Right? If I'm going to be really honest, I would say that there's probably some of us today that if we had the choice, we, we would kind of rather not talk about the subject we're going after this morning. It's, it's uncomfortable, it's challenging, it's convicting even. And I would even go kind of as far as to say, I wonder if there's some here in the room that would just kind of think that it's, it's um, inappropriate to address this topic or it's, or it's politically incorrect, right? We, we, sh- we shouldn't go there these days. And yet this topic of today's psalm, it's one that's been addressed all throughout Scripture, Gen- Genesis to Revelation, Right? It was addressed by Old Testament writers and, and New Testament writers. It's even a subject that, that was addressed by Jesus himself. Right, on, on numerous occasions and to a wide variety of audiences, Jesus talked about this, this topic, this subject, and he talked to, to it with his disciples, with religious leaders, he talked with uh, people that were far from God about this topic, and he didn't shy away from this, and yet, uh, I think these days in the church, we, we have this aversion to sometimes talking about this, this thing. So what is it? What is it, and, and why is it that we have such an aversion, or aversion to, to addressing this, this day and age in the church? Well, if you have your Bibles with you, or your iPhone, you know, digital copy of the Bible, and come with me to Psalm chapter 32, Psalm 32. This is a Psalm of David, and we're going to dive on in here, and we're going to see what David has to say about this subject, all right? Psalm chapter 32, verse 1, I'm reading out of the New King James Version this morning. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 32. Well, if anyone is still confused about the topic of today's message, and is still wondering what it is that we're talking about, friends, we're, we're, we're talking about sin. Sin. And everybody cheers, right? Yeah! yeah no. Yeah. No. Right? In all seriousness, though, it's kind of that, that topic that we don't really want to talk about. It, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, we just want to avoid it if we could. And yet I'm arguing today that we actually need to address this all the more in the church. We need to be that much more open and honest and, and transparent and vulnerable with each other in our relationships. We need to address sin. Now, now let's be honest, right? Let's face it, it's not really the most comfortable or convenient conversation to have, especially you know, depending on the context, right? Friends and family, you know you're hanging out at OJ's on a Friday night. Right, you're in the patio because it's summer, you know, take advantage of it. You're, you're having some appies, hanging out with your friends, and suddenly Susan's like, hey, hey Jenny, how, how's those fits of rage and anger going lately? Right? Are you still screaming at your kids and husband on a weekly basis? We, we just don't do that, right? It's awkward. Or, or it's like, hey, hey Jonah, how are you doing with all the, you know, the, 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 the thoughts of jealousy towards your neighbors who have all that cool stuff that you don't have? Right? Do you still kind of have those thoughts of stealing his jet ski? 
right? You're like, no, like, we, wouldn't, we just wouldn't do that. Or, or worse yet, like, think if you're at family dinner, right? Mom's made her famous spaghetti, and you're hanging out, you're eating dinner, family dinner, and then your cousin Roy, he's like, hey, uh, Bob, you still, uh, actually, pass the salt. Oh, by the way, you still dealing with porn, right? We just, we don't do that. It's awkward. It's, it's borderline inappropriate. It's just, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's yucky. We don't, we don't talk about our sin uh, th- this way, friends. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's not that we, we don't want to, well, it is, it is, we don't want to talk about it. But, but if we ever do actually talk about our sin, it's never about the stuff that we're dealing with now, is it? Right? It's, it's not that, that kind of like, here's the raw and real me. Here's all the stuff that, that's going on in my soul right now. It's kind of like, here's the stuff that I used to deal with. Are you tracking along with me? You're like, yeah, I, I used to be an angry person, but not anymore. Just don't ask my wife and kids, right? I, I, I used to deal with, with, with fits of rage and, and jealousy, but, but that, that's long gone. Right? We don't want to talk about where we're at now with our sin, but, but we'll talk about where we, where we were. But again, we just, we just want to avoid this, this topic altogether. Now, now, why is this? Again, why don't we want to talk about our sin? It's awkward. It's, it's weird. It's, it's painful. It's humiliating. I'd say it's convicting, isn't it? Let's be really honest for a moment. None of us likes to admit our failures, right? If you do, you're just weird, I'm telling you. Nobody likes to admit their faults and failures. No, nobody wants to confess their brokenness to another person, right? Why? Because I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we're worried about what that person might think of us. We're worried about how they're going to view us afterwards, right? We're, we're worried about how it's going to make them feel toward us if they, if they really knew what was going on deep down in our soul. You know, what, what would they think of me if I told them? What would, they, what would this do to my, my reputation or what would this do to my job if they just found out? Man, what would my parents think? What would my, my spouse think? What would my kids think if they knew? I, I think one of the, the key reasons we don't talk about our sin is because we want to appear better before others than we really are. And I think it boils down to two things. It's called fear and pride. Fear and pride. See, it's rooted in fear and pride. And because of fear and anxiety and worry, because of, of pride, we, we avoid talking about this topic altogether. We just, we just avoid it like the plague. And, and all the while, we're, we're hoping, we're, we're longing, we're praying that we'll, we'll find freedom one day somehow. Man, freedom from those things that just have such a grip on us. Freedom from those things that seem to rob us of life and shame us and, and pull us off of a tra- trajectory that, that Jesus would have us walk on. You see, it's those things that we feel enslaved to and sin. And, and while Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of slavery and sin, secrets, and secrets, hidden sin, unconfessed sin, undealt with sin, Friends, these things are killing us from the inside out. And, and this is why sin has to be addressed. So we've got to talk about it more often in the church. And, and it's why it can't take a back seat in our conversations, right? We can't shy away from this topic. But rather, all the more, we, we need to address it head on. Address, address it appropriately. You know, step out in courage and, and humility and, and call our sin what it is. And, and then we've got to radically deal with it when, it when it pops up in our lives. So that we can truly experience the freedom that Jesus died to give us. See, this is why we got to address this in the church. And let's, let's face it, we're, we're all dealing with stuff, aren't we? Let's be really honest. We're all dealing with issues in our soul, whether it's unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, right? Uh, issues of, you know, a, a secret addiction, these, these patterns of behavior and, and thought and speech that we just find ourselves doing again and again, or whether it's lies or lies that we've believed about ourselves or others, it's, there's, there's stuff going on in our soul, and the list goes on and on and on. we, we got to address it. If we want to experience freedom from those things that seem to rob us, to shame us, to steal life from us, we got to address our sin. And so this is what we're doing here in Psalm 32. All right, well, if you did not know this, this psalm, Psalm 32, was written by one of the most famous and influential kings of history, King David. King David, he was the, um, the king of the nation of Israel some 3,000 years ago, and he, he was also uh, not just a king, but he was also a mighty warrior, right? He's the kid who killed Goliath, right? Do you remember that story? The kid who kind of throws the, the slingshot and hits him in the head, and then the giant falls down, and he goes and lops his head off with a sword, and he holds it up as a trophy, it's like this little kid is doing it. It's pretty wild. That's, 
We don't usually tell that, that story, the or version of a story to our kids, right? But this is David. He, he's the guy who, uh, you know, fights off a bear and a lion with his bare hands when his sheep are getting attacked by these predators, right? He's the guy who, who has attributed tens of thousands of kills in the battlefield. Like, he's a, he's a legit mighty warrior. He's, he's a valiant soldier. He's courageous. He's fearless. Furthermore, he's also a poet, right? Think of that for our definition of manhood today, right? It's like, I'm a man, I drive a big truck. It's like, well, David wrote poetry, and he was like the manliest man you could get. You know what I'm talking about? So just, anyway, side note. All right, but here, here he was, right? He's, he's a poet, he's a, he's a writer, he's a worshiper. Just think of like Bethel worship on steroids, right? Like everybody sang David's songs back in the day. There was no contemporary or traditional or hymns or choruses. It was David, you know what I'm talking about? It was psalms. These are the songs of the church back then. And the guy was famous. He was an anointed leader, and an anointed worshiper, an incredible writer. And many of the, of the psalms that are in here, many of them are attributed to David. Psalm 32 being an example of this. Now, while many, many songs and stories and poems, they're written from you know, like a second or third hand experience that we heard about taking place to somebody at some point in time or somewhere or another, right? It's these kind of removed experiences. This, this is not what's going on here in Psalm 32. Psalm 32, instead, friends, it's a, it's a first hand account of David's own experience with sin and consequence. If you're not familiar with David's story, well, his narrative of kingship starts off really well, right? It starts off really, really great, right? He's got an awesome track record. The, the guy's, uh, you know, full of integrity. He walks in uprightness before the Lord. He's, he, he's this courageous, sacrificial, and selfless leader. It quickly kind of slips down into this place of, you know, moral depravity, adultery, murder, scandal, cover-up and conspiracy. This, this is David's story. And just think of that for a moment, right? Here's this guy, David. The Bible speaks of him as a man after God's own heart, valiant warrior, worshiper and poet and writer, king of one of the most powerful and influential nations of the world. Every, everybody looked up to this guy. And yet here he is in the midst of sin. He's hiding this murder that he committed to cover up an adulterous affair that he'd had with the, one of his closest friends and, and confidants. And it's crazy, right? And you think, how, how, did he, how did he get here? A guy with this much position and power and authority, someone with such integrity and honor and virtue as David, how, how could this guy fall so far? If anyone understood firsthand the deceitfulness of sin, the consequences of sin. It was this guy. It was David. Now, and I want to be really clear this morning. The Bible's pretty crystal on, on this idea that we've all sinned. Each of us has sinned. We've all fallen short of the standard, the ideal that God has set for us, right? We, we know this. On, on a macro level, we know that we've all sinned, right? And we're willing to you know, confess that on, on a macro level. Yeah, I've sinned once a long time ago, Right? Now, that, that's kind of the extent of our conversation sometimes. And isn't this what we see in 1 John 1? 1 John 1, 8, that, that each of us has sinned, and that if we, if we claim to be without sin, we're actually really just deceiving ourselves. We're lying, because we know better. We know we've all fallen short of, of God's standard and ideal. And really, this is the, the definition of sin, isn't it? It's intentional rebellion against God's authority that, that he has established for us. It's the intentional missing of, of the true end and scope in our lives, which is God himself. You see, sin's not just missing a mark, right? You think of those like dollar store kitty um, bow and arrow sets that you can get. You know what I'm talking about? And you like have like the cardboard little thing and you kind of boom and uh, you hit the target and you're like, oh, I, I missed the, the mark. I missed the center. I'm just a little bit off. Whoops. Better luck next time. That, that's how we kind of define sin, but it's, it's really not actually that. It's, it's more, you see, sin is actually a deviation from Jesus, the source of life. If that's Jesus, sin is going, I'm, I'm going this way. It's not just a missing of the mark, it's, it's a complete deviation away from Christ. And we not only, when we do that, we not only miss out on an intimate relationship with him, a life-giving relationship with the creator and sustainer of everything, but as pastor and author John Bevere writes, when we sin, we also miss out on the joy the peace, the, the wisdom, the satisfaction, the contentment, the provision, and, and the life, the abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. Friends, this is, this is sin. 
It's deviation away from Jesus. Now, now while very likely our sin you know, hasn't been in the areas of adultery or murder, I, I don't know about you, but I haven't murdered anyone. So, you know, right, like, it's, it's not that extreme. And yet at the same time, let's face it, we've all been where David was, right? We, we've, all, we've all been where David was. Maybe, maybe it was something that you, you, you did that you knew you shouldn't do. Lie, cheat, steal, dishonor, disobey, you know, covet something that doesn't belong to you. We, we've each been there. Or maybe it was, you know, a one-off word spoken in passion or anger. Or how about this? Has anybody ever sent like a text message or written a Facebook post that you knew would just like blow up the internet? And yet you're like, I don't care. I'm sending it because I'm mad. Anyone done that? No one's willing to confess. A few people. Yes. Awesome. See, we're getting there, friends. We're getting there. Right? Maybe it was something that you looked at that you just knew was inappropriate. Something that you sent to somebody or they sent to you that you just you knew was just not cool. And yet you allowed it to happen anyways. Maybe it was an area of addiction. Something that you'd be struggling with for years, and you know, even though you thought, like, man, I'm finally victorious over this thing. I, I finally am, am walking in freedom over this thing. You just, one day you find yourself slipping back, regressing. You relapse, and there you are, doing that thing that, that you vowed in your heart to never again do, and yet you're doing it. And, and now you're, you're sitting there in your sin, and you're wallowing in shame and regret and pain, and, and your heart is just... It's ready to explode because of just how crummy you feel. Have you ever been there before? Again, I know I have. I have. Friends, this is David's story. This was David's experience. This was the context within which he wrote Psalm 32. It was right in the thick of his sin and its consequences. And this is what I really want to get at this morning, is that what we choose to do in the aftermath of those moments when we sin, it makes all the difference. Really, what we choose to do, it determines whether or not we will experience the the, the true freedom of forgiveness that Jesus promises us. You see, while there's freedom through forgiveness, there's only slavery and bondage and destruction and death for those whose sin goes undealt with and unconfessed. How do we know this? Just let's look at David. But back to the text, back to Psalm 32, picking up at verse 3. Listen to what David says. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Doesn't sound like the greatest experience, does it? Friends, when we sin, we really only have two choices. Did you know that? When we sin, we have two choices. We can either A, we can confess it, or B, we can cover it up. That, that's, that's kind of it. You might say, well, there, there's more options, right? We could, we could blame somebody else. This is what Adam and Eve did, right, when they sinned. Adam's like, it was her fault. And she's like, it was the snake's fault, right? There's this shifting of blame. We, we, we can maybe tell half of the truth, not the whole truth. Right? Can I just make it sound a little bit better than it was? We, we could just flat out lie about it. We could just pretend like it never happened. There's, there's options here. But really, there's only two options. No matter which way you skin that beast, it always boils down to either you confess it or you cover it up. That's it. You confess or cover it up. And when I say confess, I, I don't just mean, you know, like, yeah, I kind of did a bad thing once. Right? I'm talking like no justification, full confession, no excuses, no he or she made me do it, no, no creatively confessing or spinning your sin to make it sound better than what it was, no partial confession either, but rather it's, it's sincere acknowledgement before God and before others, before God and before man, that, that I'm taking personal ownership for the wrong that I've committed. You see, if we choose not to confess like this, true confession, we're, we're really just hiding it. We're covering it up. Notice what David says in verse 3. Going back to the text, Psalm 32, verse 3. What does he say? He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. Now, that's kind of weird, isn't it? When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning. How can the guy be silent and groaning at the same time? Right? It's, it's just kind of weird. And we kind of wonder, well, what's, what's going on here? Is it just like when, when I didn't talk, when I... When I, when I only whispered, when I just made nonverbal sounds, like, what's, what's happening? There, there's, there's a bit of a hint in the text here. In the original language, in the Hebrew, the word for silent is harash. Harash. And if we were to make like a, 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 a true kind of transliteration or a, or a better rendering of this word, then silent is actually to plow the ground. 
Harash means to plow the ground. Now, I just spent like the weekend digging up a massive tree and then replanting it in my yard. It was like a 15-foot tree. It was huge. I had to build like, I could have like laid in the hole and buried myself. Like that's how big this hole was. And so I, I know about plowing the ground. And let me tell you, I was not silent about it, okay? I got blisters. Man, I complained a lot, okay? It was, I wasn't silent. I was groaning, okay? So what's going on here when he says, you know, I, when I plowed the ground? Through my, through my groaning all day long, my, my bones wasted away. This idea of silence, plowing the ground, friends. You, you plow the ground so that you can cover something up. Do you see what's happening here? When I kept silent, when I, when, I, when I plowed the ground and I concealed my sin, when I hid it, when I kept it secret, my bones grew old. My bones grew old day and night. He, he, David is speaking here, not just of his his, his voice, he didn't just like, you know, vow a silence for a few months. He's saying, when I, when I refused to cover up my, or so refused to confess my sin, when I refused to acknowledge what I did, th- this is keeping silent. M- most scholars would agree that David spent the better part of a year hiding and keeping secret this sin, hoping, praying that nobody would ever find out. A year. Right? He chose option B, friends. He, he chose to cover it up. Now, th- now, this leaves me to ask the question, if David, a man after God's heart, if David, this guy of integrity and valor, if it took him a year to confess his sin, man, how much longer does it take us? How much longer would it take me? How, how much longer does it take you? See, in those moments, in, in the aftermath of sinning and making wrong decisions, what do you choose to do? Do you choose to, you know, A, acknowledge what you've done? Do you man up, pony up? What's the female version of that? Lady up? I don't know. Right? Giddy up, I guess. Okay. Right? But like, do, 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 you, do you own it? Do you, do you confess it? Do you acknowledge it? Do you just say, this, I'm calling it what it is. This is what I've done. And I'm seeking the Lord for his forgiveness. I'm seeking the Lord that he would just cover that thing and take away from me the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. Do do we acknowledge our sin? Or like David here in Psalm 32, do do we choose to conceal it, to plow the ground and hide that thing so deep, so far, nobody will ever find it? Do we vow to keep that thing a secret forever, right? Taking it to our grave. Nobody will ever know. Nobody can ever know. And all the while, friends, that secret is robbing us of joy and of peace and of life. And it's leaving behind us this this wake of of toxicity and destruction, not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of those we rub shoulders with. You see, concealed sin is never really hidden. Concealed sin is never really hidden, and it will never truly go away. No matter how silent you stay or how hard you try to forget those things that you said or did or how hard you pretend like that thing never took place, while the sin itself might be tucked away in some deep, dark corner of your soul, never to see the daylight, friends, there will always be this torture inside of your heart. And that unconfessed sin will always manifest itself in other ways. And everybody knows it. Everybody, they might not know it, but they know it. You see, our poker face isn't as good as we think it is, is it? Everybody knows it. Secret sin always manifests itself in one way or another. Again, going back to the text, let's look at David's example with this. Psalm 32, picking up at verse 3 again. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Right? He's groaning day and night. Day and night, your hand is heavy upon me. My vitality has been turned into the drought of summer. I'm, I'm, I'm sapped, he's saying. I'm in burnout mode. I can't handle it any longer. Friends, while there is always consequences to our sin, right? Sin, sin always brings consequences, right? It's, it's not this idea of karma, I get what I deserve, right? Actually, the gospel is the opposite of karma. The gospel is you get what you do not deserve, Amen? So it's not karma, but it is this idea of sowing and reaping, right? If I, if I sow corn, what am I going to reap? Corn. Man, if I sow wickedness and sin in my life, what am I going to reap? Wickedness and sin. And so there, there are always consequences to our sin. But friends, when there's hidden sin, 
When there's sin that just goes unconfessed over a long period of time, there's always more consequences. Now, now while we don't really know how old David was here in this moment of you know, adultery and murder, we, we, we know it's kind of the latter half of his life, right? But we don't know the specific details. We don't know he's 53 and a half, right? Uh, we, we don't know the, those details. But what we do know is, is what David was like prior to this experience. So through the, through the account of Scripture, right, or the accounts of, of David's life, we, we get a pretty good picture of, of what this guy was like. So again, he's a warrior, right? When you think of warrior, you probably don't picture somebody like me, right? A little bit on the chubby side. You, you probably picture a guy like those, like, those A-list, you know, um, Marvel action figure characters, like the Hollywood dudes, right? 12 abs, you know, 32-inch biceps, huge pecs. You know, you, all right, you know what I'm talking about, right? Warriors. You're just jacked. You're a warrior, right? I'm like, a thousand sit-ups, I'm not even sweating, right? Like, that kind of jacked. This is, this is what I picture of uh, David is like. He's, he's strong. He's a warrior, right? He's got to be fit. And then what about when it comes to his intellect, right? He's a, he was an expert tactician in, in warfare. He was a wise and successful king. So he's got to have it going on up here. You know what I'm saying? Right? He's got to be smart. He's got to be mentally sharp. And then he was also a lover of God's presence. He was a worshiper, a, a songwriter, a poet. And so we, we, we know that his spiritual life, it was definitely flourishing, wasn't it? And what about his emotional state? Right? We, we know that he was, he was this happy guy, joyful before the Lord. And guess what? He was even handsome. Like, this guy has it all going on, right? He's got the full package. Girls, if you find a David, lock it down, okay? <laughs> Put a ring on him. Like, this guy's got it going on, right? And, and so, and this, this was David, but what, what do we see in Psalm 32? What, what do we see happening here, right? As a direct result of David concealing sin in his heart, he's like, I'm, I'm wasting away. My bones are growing old. Instead of feeling close and connected to the Father, he feels separated. He's distant from God. Instead of God's hand of blessing upon David and, and his family and his nation, what's going on? He feels this heavy hand of conviction on his life. It's this unbearable pressure and weight day and night. It never leaves him. And then what about his emotional state now? Again, before he was happy, he was joyful, he was always singing. What's he doing now? He's moaning and groaning. The guy's in a state of depression. He's, he's depressed. He's miserable. He's being tortured from the inside out by his guilt and by his shame and by his condemnation. His hidden sin is killing him, literally. He feels it. He, he knows it and he can't get away from it. It weighs on him day and night and it's only getting worse with time. Just think it's only been one year for David, likely less, since he committed this affair and murder. Only one year. And if this is how bad it is for David after one year, man, just think about those people who, who go a lifetime harboring secrets. <laughs> that grieves me. Just think of those people who go a lifetime not confessing their sin and their brokenness. And they're just living under the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation and self-hatred. We look at people who are, you know, in their, their older years and they're just so bitter. They're just full of this loathsome attitude. And you just got to wonder, man, what haven't they confessed? What, what happened to you that made you this way? It's devastating. Well, while sin always brings consequences, unconfessed and hidden sin always brings more. This is the nature of sin, friends. This is it. This is the nature of sin. It's not just to, you know, uh, deceive you. It's not just the sin's desire to trip you up, to, to kind of bring you low, to embarrass you, to make you look kind of like an idiot every once in a while. But it's actually sin's desire to enslave you and to utterly destroy you from the inside out. And, and each day, unconfessed sin goes unconfessed and undealt with, uncovered by the blood. The more rooted and powerful that sin becomes in our lives. Just listen to these words from the Apostle Paul to the, to the Romans. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And then what about this? John 8, 34. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. This is, this is sin's goal in our lives, friends. It's to enslave us, to control us, to, to have mastery over us. 
to destroy us. And this is why we got to start talking about it all the more in the church. This is why we got to talk about it in our relationships, in our homes, with our kids, with our friends, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it just feels weird. we got to do it. we got to start addressing it. We need to be quick to confess, quick to repent, quick to rob the, er- the, the enemy of the, the territory that he wants to gain in our lives. Because if we don't confess, friends, if we don't bring out of hiding into the light of Jesus those things that we've done, then they will not be forever covered. We're not walking in freedom, we're walking in bondage. We're walking in bondage. If we fail to confess our sin, and it's going to destroy us from the inside out, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, just like it did to David. This is the power of sin. While sin brings consequences, unconfessed sin always brings more. I want to talk just for a moment about the power of sin over our physical bodies. I recently just finished a book by a charismatic Baptist preacher. That's kind of a weird combination, isn't it? Two words you probably would never put together. Charismatic Baptist. Uh, the guy's name is Dr. Randy Clark. And his book was, was called The Essential Guide to Healing. And in it, Dr. Clark, a renowned and well-studied student and practitioner in the area of you know, divine and supernatural healing, he asserts that, or he suggests that 85% of all sickness originates in the mind. 85%. Now, this guy, he's got his doctorate. He's done his dissertation and study in the areas of, a, uh, of sin and, and physical illness and disease and praying for people with sicknesses. And so he, he kind of has you know, a grasp. He's done lots of study uh, or research from studies, medical studies that have been done at different universities around the U.S., and so he suggests that 85% of all sickness originates in the mind. Not, not that it's imagined, right? but that it actually has its roots, it has its origins in an unhealthy thought life. See, there's a connection, friends. I think we see it here in the Psalm 32. There's a connection between secrets and hidden sin, unconfessed sin, and our emotional and physical health. And what do we see here with David? When I kept silent, my, my bones grew old, I'm burnt out, I'm sapped. I can't handle it any longer, right? He's just, he's physically being destroyed by, by this hidden thing in his heart. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that all sin is a result, or sorry, all sickness is a result of sin. I'm not suggesting that. That wasn't the premise of the book, all right? If you're hearing that, you're, you're, you're mishearing me. Some, some sin results in sickness, but not all. But rather, what I, what I am saying here is that there's, there's also there's a, there's a mystery and there's a truth in the scriptures we see here in Psalm 32, and I would say other places as well, that when we harbor sin in our hearts, when we harbor you know, bitterness and unforgiveness, when we, when we harbor deceit and secret addictions, you know, secret rendezvous we have with somebody at work or somebody on the internet, whatever that looks like, when we harbor sin and all that comes with it, friends, it produces an unhealthy thought life. It produces an unhealthy emotional life, an unhealthy spiritual life. And I would say it also produces an unhealthy physical life as well. You see, when our, when our thought life is just so toxic, it, we're actually eating up our immune system. And we're making ourselves that much more susceptible to, to physical ailment and to further attack from the enemy. I think we see it right here in Psalm 32. Unconfessed sin, secret sin, it, it torments us. It destroys us from the inside out. And it's, it's no wonder why so many people are stressed, why so many people are, are, are anxious, are, are burnt out, or are fearful. I, I wonder, I, I wonder for some of those individuals that, that it's this idea of, of unconfessed sin. They, they just, they know. They know that deep down that there's this, this thing that they're not willing to address, yet it's destroying them, killing them from the inside out. Well, sin always brings consequences, unconfessed sin, hidden sin. It always brings more. But this was not the life that Jesus came to offer us, friends. This, this, this isn't the life that he died to give us. And you see, rather, it's his heart that we would have a full life, an abundant life, a healthy life, body, soul, spirit, holistically healthy. He wants us to walk in freedom. You see, we'll only ever experience this freedom through forgiveness. It's freedom through forgiveness. I love this proverb. I came across it this week. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper. I think it's pretty apparent here from the text. 
He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes their sin, he will find mercy. Isn't that good? Mercy. So how do we get to this place of true forgiveness? How do we find freedom from those things that you know, seem to have a hold on us? How do we find freedom? Friends, there's only freedom through forgiveness. That there is only forgiveness through confession and repentance. And there's only true confession and repentance through an acknowledgement of those areas in us that are not yet conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. It's acknowledgement of our sin. That's how we get there. So how, how do we find freedom from our sin? Well, first, friends, we got to acknowledge it. We need to acknowledge it, right? If, if you've got sin in your life, you've got to stop pretending like it's not there, right? Stop, stop pretending like it's hidden, like, like God can't see it, right? I think we, we kind of this mindset of like, if I just don't talk about it, God, God doesn't know it exists, right? If I do it in a locked room somewhere, God, God can't get in there if the, if the door's locked. You know what I mean? We've got to just stop pretending that it's not there, friends. We've got to stop pretending like it's not that harmful to us or that it's, it's not that bad. All sin has consequences, and if it's sin, we have to call it what it is. We just have to acknowledge it. Right? This, is, this is what David did. Psalm 32, verse 5. What does he say? I acknowledged my sin to you, God, and my iniquity I have not hidden. He acknowledges it. He's like, you know what? This, you're, you're right. This is what I've done. I'm not going to hide it any longer. I'm acknowledging it. I'm calling it what it is. That is sin. If, if there's an area in your heart, friend, Maybe it's an action or a word or a deed that that's not in conformity to the person and the likeness of Jesus. If, if there's an area in your heart that God's just putting his finger on today, maybe he's just shining, you know, that gentle yet convicting light of his spirit. And he's saying, hey, son, daughter, you were made for more than this. this. This is beneath you. You're better than this. I have more for you. You were made for more than this. Friends, if there's an area in your life like this, that, that thing, whatever it is, that God's just trying to shine a, a spotlight on today, that, that's sin. It's sin to you. You've got to acknowledge it. Call it what, what God calls it. And like I said before, there's no, there's no point in trying to ignore him, trying, trying to hide from him. Just think of the, the story of Cain and Abel for a sec, right? You guys remember that story, Cain and Abel? Right? Adam and Eve's first sons. And what happens? Cain gets mad at Abel because Abel's sacrifice to the Lord was more acceptable than Cain's. And so Cain's filled with anger and jealousy, and, and then he, just, uh, he kills his brother, right? A pretty uh, logical, I guess, reasonable thing to do, not at all. Um, so here he goes, right? He kills his brother. And then what does God do? God comes back to him and he says, hey, where's your brother? What does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? Right? I, I don't know. He's trying to, like, you know, trick God. I, I, I'm not sure where my brother went. Maybe he went for a really long walk and he got lost by the garden somewhere, right? Like, God, God knows, friends. God, God knew where Abel was. I, I think we, we think we can trick God. We can pretend and, and we can kind of get away with this stuff, but it's just, it's, it's not working. It's not effective. God knows. So rather than fighting him, why don't you just submit to him? Just acknowledge it. Call it what it is. Call your sin, sin. This is, this is the first step to freedom. Second, how do we find freedom from our sin? We, we, after we've acknowledged it, then we have to repent and confess of it. Step two, repent and confess. I saw a picture on Facebook, I think this last week, and it said repentance is more than just a repeated apology. Repentance is more than just a repeated uh, apology. In the, in the Greek language, uh, the, the word for repentance is metanoia. Metanoia, and it literally means a, a change of mind. Repentance, it's not just changing a plan or, or changing an, an attitude or an intention or a belief, but, but it's actually uh, about, about changing the whole personality of the individual back from that sinful way back to trajectory that points toward Jesus. That, that's, that's repentance, right? If sin is a deviation from God who is the source of life, repentance is that, that recorrection back to Jesus. And, and, it, and it's, it's supposed to be a complete change of our, of our entire personhood. And it's the acknowledgement that, that, that sin is not the ideal, but that Jesus is the ideal. You see, repentance isn't just an apology. It's not just, you know, changing the way we think a little bit. But, but it's actually this thing that's supposed to be proven by our actions. In the book of Acts... We see that Paul, in front of King Agrippa, he's, he's addressing this, and he, he talks about how followers of Jesus, right, those people who, who have a relationship with God through Christ, he says they prove their repentance by their deeds. 
They prove their repentance by their deeds. And, and this is why repentance needs to be coupled with confession, friends. Because confession is actually the outworking, the, the physical manifestation of that redirection of our being back to Jesus. You see, when it comes to confession, I think many of us are under false pretenses here. We think that confession is just this thing between me and God, God and me, that's it. Mano y mano, right? That's it. And we don't have to involve anybody else. I was under this impression for many years, up until about three years ago. And isn't, isn't this what, what, what David does in Psalm 32? Right? Isn't this what we see in Scripture? David confesses his sin to God, right? He says, I acknowledge my sin to you, Lord. I acknowledge my sin to you. and I said, I'll confess my transgressions to, to the Lord. It was this, this David and God thing, right? One-on-one. But, but is that all confession is? I think it's more. And I would argue, friends, it's implicit in the text. It's not explicit, but it's implicit that David did not just confess to God, but he actually confessed to a whole bunch of other people. Why do I say that? Because we have Psalm 32. <laughs> we have Psalm 32. We have Psalm 51. Another one of those Psalms of David, a song of repentance for what he did with, with this woman, what he did to, to this woman's husband by, by murdering him. And remember, these songs, these were the worship songs of the day. The Psalms. Just think of that, sitting in a church service and we're singing about how, uh, how, how grievous your sin is. <laughs> it, was, it was a public confession, friends. Writing is sin. This is a public confession. It's not just a me and God thing. It is that, but it's also more. You see, we've got to confess before God and before others. This is true confession. And I think the reason we don't like talking about our sin or we don't like this idea of confession is because of those things again, fear and pride. We're worried about what others are going to think of us. We're worried about what, 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 what they're going to say about us behind our backs. We're worried about our reputation. We're more worried about saving face and looking good to people than walking in righteousness with Jesus. And so we allow it to hold us back. And we refuse to confess our sin. But, but I'm asking, is this true repentance? Friends, there's no forgiveness without repentance. As we see in Acts, repentance is proved by our deeds, a.k.a., I would say, confession. Why, why else do we read in Scripture in places like you know, James chapter 5 and, and 1 John 1 that we need to walk confessionally with others? We need to walk in the light with others. God, God and man, I, I think if we want to walk in freedom, we've got to do it before God and people. Going back to David, right? He's the king, national leader, and yet here he is taking this place of humility and saying, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. Now, now I'm not saying we've got to stand up here with a microphone and just, you know, blah, confess everything to everyone. I'm not saying that, okay? Don't go to family dinner and be like, hey, by the way, I struggle with X, Y, and Z. That's probably not the most wise thing to do. But what I, what I am encouraging you to do, man, grab a trusted friend. Grab somebody who you know and who, who you know loves you and, and who you know is trustworthy, and I want to encourage you to share everything with them. Don't leave out details. Don't, don't make it sound better than it is, but just bear your soul, all the ugliness, all, the, all that grimy crud in there. Just bear it all and confess not only to God but to somebody else, friends. And that will not only hold you accountable, but I think that's, that's walking in the humility it takes to be truly repentant in our heart. It's confession before God and man. And this needs to be an ongoing pattern of, of, of discipline in our lives. I, I have a group of friends, there's three of us, and we met, we started doing this a couple years ago, but we did these things called full life confessions. We shared every little detail, start to finish of our lives, that was not honoring to God with one another. And it's not to give glory to those things, it's just to say, hey, you know what, I have no secrets. And now we meet every other month regularly, we meet for breakfast. And we just say, hey, where's your, do you need to update your confessions? We go, yeah, I did. I need to. <laughs> I sinned. I, you know, maybe I yelled at my kids. Maybe, maybe it was this or that, whatever it was. And we, and we share openly and honestly. We, we do full confessions with each other on a regular basis. And, and friends, it's the healthiest thing I've ever done in my spiritual life. The healthiest thing I've ever done. It, it's not fun. It's not easy. 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 Wow. Oh, you can tell it's getting time. We're almost done here. Easy. But it's the, it's the best thing I've ever done, honestly. And, and my relationship with Jesus has never been as vibrant and as, as free as it is now. So keep our, our confessions, or keep our accounts short, keep our confessions going often with those who we can trust. And then finally, how do we find freedom from our sin? Well, when we've done the other things, when we've acknowledged our sin, 
when we've you know, repented and confessed, we, we just got to ask Jesus. Friends, freedom is only found in forgiveness, and forgiveness is only found in Jesus. Amen? That's it. We, we can't work harder. <laughs> we, we, can't, you know, we can't hold our breath. We, we can't um, you know, just you know, seek out other things. We're, we're not going to find forgiveness apart from Jesus. That's it. It's only in him. It's only in Jesus, the person and work of Jesus and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. And so how, how do we find freedom? Man, we come to Jesus and we say, I, I, I need forgiveness. I love what we read in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some, not just, not just a little bit, not partial but, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And those people who have been cleansed from all unrighteousness, what does Scripture say? In Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? No more fear. No more guilt. No more shame. No more condemnation. It's freedom. Freedom. And friends, it's available to each of us today. This, this is how David got there. Read, read the rest of that psalm. He confesses this into the Lord and, and that, that weight is just, it's lifted off. And, he, and he's a new man. At the end of the psalm, he's rejoicing. He's, he's praising God. He's a changed man. This, this is the power of forgiveness, friends. And it's stronger than the power of sin, amen? It is. And so I, I love this psalm. What a perfect demonstration, a perfect example, an illustration of what Jesus has come to do for each of us. To forgive our sins, to, to take it all away to cleanse us, to, uh, to give us freedom. You see, Jesus died in order that our debt might be paid. And so as we come to him, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us, he will cleanse us. He'll remove all that junk away, and he'll throw it in the deepest, farthest ocean, and he will not remember it any longer. That's so good. So I want to ask this final question. And just let me close your eyes as I read this, Okay. Why would you continue to cover up your sin and to suffer untold miseries and, and torment when, when you could find deliverance and, and joy and peace and salvation through full confession and childlike trust in our Savior who in his own body, he bore our sins on the cross? Why would you continue to live under the guilt and the shame and the burden of your sin? When freedom is available to you today, friend. It's available to you today. But it takes courage. It takes humility. It takes guts. It takes intentionality. But it can be yours. It can be yours. Why don't we stand together? I want to pray over us this morning as we wrap up. I want to put your, put your hand on your heart, okay? Put your hand on your heart. Let's pray. So God, while these aren't always fun conversations to have, Jesus, we know that they're necessary. And we just acknowledge that before you because we want to walk before you, God, uprightly. We want to walk before you, God, in integrity. We want to walk before you, God, in freedom. And Jesus, it's only in you. And so, God, I pray right now, this morning, God, that as we're, we're each here, God, as our, as our minds and our eyes are fixed on you, Jesus, that you would just begin showing us, Holy Spirit, showing us those areas in our hearts, God, that are not yet conformed to your image and likeness. God, in the, in the gentle way that you do, would you shine a light in our hearts? Lord, if there's something in there that we've hidden, that we've buried, that we know, God, thanks for your faithfulness in showing that to us. Now I ask, God, for your, your courage and your boldness, God, to go where we, we ourselves can't go. God, give us the courage to address those things, to repent and to confess those things, God. And to seek you, God, for forgiveness of those things. And Lord, I just, I just pray to a word of forgiveness over ourselves right now. Friends, there's some of you in here that the reason that you're not walking in freedom is because you haven't forgiven yourself. Would you receive the ability to do that today from the Father? 
if you're coming to him with a repentant heart, he, he's saying, I, I have forgiven you. It's gone. It's covered. It's clean. You are clean. Now you've got to apply that to yourself. Apply it to yourself. Yeah. So Jesus, continue doing a work in our hearts. Continue doing a work in our hearts, God. Thank you that freedom is ours. That victory is ours, God. That we don't need to be slaves to sin, but God, we actually get to be slaves to righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Come and invade our hearts, each of us, God, and do what you need to do. And then, Lord, lead us to do what only we can do as well. And I just want to pray, too, if there's someone here today who's, who's not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe they, they, they're just beginning this faith journey. They're not really sure about all this, this Christian talk. And, and yet you know that in your heart, you, you know there's these areas that, that you, just, you need freedom from. Friend, this is what we've been talking about today. The idea of addressing our sin, calling it what it is, repenting and confessing it, bringing it before God and asking Jesus to forgive us. You can do that right now. You can do that right now. And he'll not just cleanse your heart. He'll give you a brand new heart. He'll put his spirit in you. He'll radically transform and change you. And he's going to bring freedom to your life in more areas than you can conceive of. So just, just in your own way, in your own words, led by the Spirit, if you, if you want that, if you want to begin a relationship with God and experience the freedom He's offering to you today, just, just say yes to Him. Say yes to Him. Say yes to Him. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Not next Sunday, it's today, friend. And if you did that, that's the posture of your heart right now. We just say welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. That's so good. Awesome. Well, if you want somebody to, to talk to, to, to be ministered by, if you need your body, would you come up to the front? There's going to be a few of us up here. We'd love to talk with you. Other than that, God bless you, friends. We'll see you in seven days. Have an awesome rest of July and the beginning of August. We'll see you next Sunday.